Otherwise on SAFM. Yes, you're listening to Otherwise, the women's show here on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Kim Winter, in for you, uh, in for Shadow Twala today, uh, up until 2 o'clock this afternoon, so do stay tuned. My technical producer is Keith John, and Hazel Makazeni is our producer today. Uh, feel free to join in the conversation, 0892102010. That's 0892102010. We're talking about... Two, well, we're talking to very, two very interesting uh, women today. First up, we're speaking to Anne Wilson uh, about her latest book, The Wealth Chef. And if this uh, title appeals to you, do stay tuned. How to make your money work hard so you don't have to. So we'll be chatting to Anne shortly. And then in the second half, we have a bit of an international flavor and I guess a bit of glam. Anna Fremantle, uh, who is originally Dutch. Uh, but she's moved down to Cape Town from Edinburgh and she's been up to all sorts of interesting things as the founder and director of the in Edinburgh International Fashion, Fashion Festival in Scotland. And sh she'll be joining us in studio in the second half today. So that's what's on the lineup. Uh, do stay tuned. Join me, see Kim Daily weekdays on Market Update with MoneyWeb, where we discuss how the economy and business affect you and your wallet. That's Market Update with MoneyWeb weekdays at 6 p.m. on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. An event not to be missed, the SAFM melting pot of sounds. Zwaya Bala has been appointed as the musical director and he will feature various South African artists who will ensure that we have a very entertaining afternoon. There will be classics, gospel, jazz, choral, R&B, hip-hop, and uh, it's, a, it's a place where all these uh, genres meet, featuring the Bala voices, Tsepo Tola, Double HP, uh, an 18-piece orchestra, and the Gauteng Opera Choir, to name a few. Diarise November the 16th. The concert will start at 1 o'clock and bring along your picnic baskets and your blankets to the Walter Sassoula Botanic gardens. Tickets are 100 Rand for adults, 50 Rand for scholars and children under the age of 6 get in for free. You can book at webtickets.co.za. For more information, visit our website safm.co.za Otherwise, on SAFM Right, well, to kick off today, we have Anne Wilson. She is the author of The Wealth Chef, How to Make Your Money Work Hard So You Don't Have To. It's kind of tempting, isn't it? Sought after money and wealth expert. She's a speaker and she's the author, as I said, of The Wealth Chef uh, book. She has helped people all over the world become financially free by sharing her simple recipes for wealth. She's an expert on how to improve your relationship with money. I think that's an important point. Get out of debt, invest easily, and make your money work hard for you so that you know with certainty that you'll be able to stop working and not to survive but actually live and really love life and she also focuses her attention on women and that's why we love her and that's why we have her on the show today hi Anne. hi kim it's such a pleasure to be back with you lovely lovely to have you so i think maybe for those who haven't perhaps listened to you or caught you on uh, otherwise just give us a little bit of background about you and maybe the run-up to to this book on absolute pleasure. You know, Kim, like so many people, I sort of grew up in a very normal, average family, and your know, money wasn't really spoken about, except maybe to be told it wasn't grown on trees, mm. which now, as we know, is actually a lie since printed on paper. But, you know, it, I was taught very much, you know, get a good job, you know, study hard, then work really hard, then hopefully somehow through magic, some of that money would hopefully stay in my life and maybe at the end of it all I could 
have some energy left over and do the things that I really wanted and then hope that I ran out before the money did. Mm -hmm. This is a pretty barbaric recipe, but it's one most of us are taught. And so not knowing any differently, that's where I headed off. And um, so I decided to study civil engineering and get that good degree and work hard. And I did. And, And I thought, okay, I've got this money stuff sussed because as I got my first job, money was everywhere credit cards, store loans, overdrafts, and I honestly believed that was the way the world worked. You know, I was told that, that I could have it now and pay later because I'd always be earning more, and, you know, I don't think I'm particularly dim, but I was financially completely illiterate because most of us are just not taught this stuff, and I think there's another dimension as women, that there's another side of almost, it's a little bit maybe dirty or complicated or somehow it's something that you shouldn't really look too closely in Mm. at. And so it didn't take me long before I got myself into a really big debt hole. But early on in my 20s also, my father had had died. I'm number five of six kids, and I got to watch my mum for the first time ever have to deal with the money stuff because dad had just always handled that type of thing. And I saw this anxiety and this vulnerability about not only handling the day-to-day money stuff, but really worrying that how would the small amount of money available that would be left, how would she make sure that it lasted? Who did she go, who could she trust? How to have the conversations and the language to ensure that she was going to be looked after financially. And I vowed that I never wanted to ever be that vulnerable. But here I was feeling that exact same anxiety and vulnerability in my, in my late 20s from all the debt that I had around me. And I thought, oh, okay, I haven't got this money stuff. And so I really, that was the sort of first step of my wealth journey. I, I decided, you know, there were so many things that I wanted to do and achieve and experience, but having really walked into modern day slavery without even being aware of it, um, I thought this is maybe what it meant in the real world that people spoke about. I thought, surely there must be another way. There can't be this. So I I made the decision that I had to get rid of it. This was such a key first point of realizing that that isn't the way to a great wealthy life. And so I started reading and I realized that nobody pops out the room of financial genius. Actually, there were strategies and how money worked that I had no idea about. I managed to get myself out of debt and it was fantastic. I could then go and travel and I decided to go and travel around. I got to Hong Kong and wow, so my options were open again because I wasn't tied down by, by this consumer debt now. And so I managed to get a job in Hong Kong. I thought this was a fantastic place. And money was flowing again. I thought, yay, okay, now I've got it sorted. Now I know what it's all about. I'm going to save, save, save and spend as little as I can. And then sometime in the future, I'll have enough. I had no idea what enough was, but maybe that would emerge. And then I could really do the things I wanted. But all that happened, I'd swung from this binging on money that I didn't even have to a form of sort of what I call money anorexia. That same fear and anxiety and stress around money was still with me because I thought it all had to be about what I couldn't have now. If I could control myself. And um, well, that all blew up in a big messy money drama that despite saving really hard, the conflict started in my marriage. It was all about what we couldn't do and fighting about money because I'd never learned about how to really talk about money either as a woman and, and the roles and how to integrate it into our relationships. 
And so I then ended up back at zero, feeling unbelievably unsuccessful as both the money and the marriage walked out the door. And, you know, I think for so many women, we, we sit up with so many dreams and hopes and we find ourselves in place, we go, you know, how the hell did this all happen? Yes. And initially I felt sorry for myself, but then I thought, okay, let's look at this. There must be a place where I can live the life I want. I can feel secure and confident about money. I can do the things I want to do, but I can also feel confident and secure about my financial future. There must be an end. Surely it's not a trade-off. And that's when I really started understanding that there's a big difference between saving and investing. It's really important about learning how to manage my money on the day-to-day basis and making sure that, you know, I lived a great life now, but also getting money working for me. And so that was really the real key start of creating my own financial freedom. And by learning about investing in equities and property and passive income businesses, giving my money great leadership and really getting clear about what was wealthy to me, I created my own financial freedom in just eight years from starting or feeling from scratch again as a divorcee and had an incredible journey during that time. And interesting, did it all while I was still a salaried employee, which was also very interesting. And found another great man on the journey and this time learned how to have money conversations. And so that was really my own journey to financial freedom. And through that, I just started talking to other people about their money stuff and more and more and more I realized there was such a need for this. It's one of the least spoken about subjects and and such stress around it and then started sharing with my team. And then realized this was absolutely my passion. If I could help other people achieve the same relationship, the same empowerment around their money and realize that they could really you know, resurrect all those dreams they have, that you can actually live the life you want with money supporting you and working hard for you, that that's really what I wanted to do. And so the Wealth Chef company formed. And from that, the Wealth Chef book. So that's a quick summary of my money journey obviously with lots of bits and pieces in between and i think it's quite reflective of of a lot of people's experiences i mean you talk about money having an effect on relationships i think that's a fundamental thing and i also think your targeting women is a is a fantastic and very special kind of thing because women seem to have been left out a little bit about um on in terms of in the family unit actually getting to grips with money growing money speaking about money but what's interesting to me as well as you've taken all this learning you've taken your experience and you've put it into something which uses cooking and food analogies maybe just describe why that is yeah good pleasure now, Kim I really see money as an ingredient it's, and it's one of the greatest and most important ingredients we have in creating the life we want but so much of our education and our mindset is all about and how can we earn money how can we bring it into our life now, education, it's, you know, work harder, get more skilled, all about earning. But so little about it is what do we do with it once we bring it in our life? So we've got this, the, the master-servant relationship the wrong way around. It's about working for money. Mm. But if you can shift and see money as, as an ingredient, then we can say, okay, how do we convert it as a seed into a juicy feast? And view it that real, we realize that actually it's then the chef, it's us that determines whether we create this absolute you know, disaster that just has to be scraped off and put in the bin, this money hell yeah. or wealth heaven, and we, and we can shift it to relationship. I also use those analogies to 
get over the a lot of the financial jargon. You know, when I started, I'd pick up investment books and ear, they were so deftly dull. They made me feel I wanted to fall asleep in the first 10 minutes. Although it was so full of jargon and languaging that really made me feel intimidated. Mm. that it just wasn't for somebody like me. And I want to bring money and managing it and in a far more intimate way into all of our lives. And food is an everyday thing and how we deal with it and to bring money into that side that it is as simple as that. But if we want to really learn a new dish, we pick up a recipe. We learn how to do the steps. And in money, it's the same thing. There's a series of ingredients and a series of steps and a series of processes that if followed, you can get better and better and better at it and really create the peace of your life. So that is why I use those analogies and shifting it to see that it's, that it's just an ingredient mm. and we can really make it so powerful if we choose to. Indeed, indeed. Okay, so we're going to get to some of those recipes just after this. Otherwise, on SAFM. Yes, you're listening to Otherwise, the Women's Show here on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Kim Winter, and I'm in for Shadow Twilight today. And we are talking to the lovely Anne Wilson. She's the author of The Wealth Chef. She's a wealth expert. She's a speaker. And she's an authority, really, on getting your head around money. And we were just talking about money, seeing money as an ingredient, and then looking at the way in which we deal with it in terms of, uh, I suppose, recipes, which is how Anne structured her book. So, Anne, maybe just let's get into the nitty-gritty of what the book actually offers people, what you want to achieve um, with it, and what they can expect when they're reading it. So, maybe just a bit about the book structure? Yeah, absolutely. Now, the book is structured to have both the inspiration and that, and that first part of the possibility that absolutely financial freedom and abundant wealth is available to everyone. Because without that first belief, that spark, that, you know, this average blonde South African that grew up in the back end of Natal can do it, anybody can. But also then the how-tos. You know, I read so many books that would get me all inspired but didn't tell me how. So there's really structured recipes that go through these five core wealth skills that I learned on my journey that if applied consistently, financial freedom is absolutely guaranteed with really practical step-by-step of how you do it. And the first key skill, and it's recipe number one for a reason, is about becoming a great leader of your money, how to manage it in on a day-to-day basis to ensure that you have a great life now, but your short-term and your longer-term financial well-being is looked after. You know, so many people say to me, well, as stop managing my money when I have some, but it's the wrong way around. You know, when we manage what we have, that's how we get more. And it's really about creating intimacy with your money. You know, it's a bit like bringing a relationship. People work so hard to get money in and they want money, but as soon as it comes in their door, it's as though they completely ignore it. And a lot of women are really either think it's boring or dull or a bit fearful to truly see what's going on in their money world. Yes. Where is it going? How? What's it flowing to? It, money that they choose to go out of their life, is it really bringing them value? How do they manage that day-to-day side? So this is about wealth tides carving it all up and in a way that's also simple to do so it's not about having to lug around your pick and pay packet full of receipts and all about what you can't do but real really with consciousness because me is about conscious spending and not even about having budgets but conscious spending plans so we really know that we're getting the most out of our money 
in each area of our life. And uh, so, and what does that look yeah. like? The the con- if it, is it a budget kind of thing, or you know, what does that actually you know, look like? Yeah. Well, firstly, we have to know what's happened with our money patterns mm. in the past. You know, so many people go, "If I could just earn more money, then I'll be okay." You know, more money doesn't solve money problems. Financial literacy does. So part of actually first got to go and see, well, what's happened in the past? How's money been flowing through our life? Are we a break even? Are we one of those people that it's as though as quickly as money comes into our life, we feel we have to get rid of it? Mm. And this is so key of breaking those patterns. So to do that, you've got to form, create these wealth cooking tools. And the two most important ones are your income statement and your balance sheet. And your we have the greatest privilege to be the CEO of the greatest business there is called our lives. And if a business isn't making a profit each and every month, it's not going to be in business for long. And that's the same with our lives. We need to make sure that, you know, more is coming in than is going out. And so what is one of the challenges with so many people set up budgets? At the beginning of the year, they get all enthusiastic and like, okay, I'm going to set a budget. And then out of the air, they pluck the, the amount of money they're going to spend on different categories. Okay, this is the mortgage or the rent or the utilities or the fuel. And they make this thing and they say, this is the income comes up. And magically, it all adds up very nicely, maybe with a little bit of extra left over. And they put that away and off they go, continuing with the same pattern. But so many people's budgets are made, it's their complete fantasy. they pulled out of the air. Mm. Whereas actually going back and looking, and this can be the part for so many people, it's so empowering when you do it. What has actually happened with your money over the last three, preferably 12 months and see what's really going on because then you can cluster into categories and start getting information to work with and going, okay, does this picture reflect what I really want for my life? And so then it comes to a spending plan saying, what do I really want? What are my goals? What are my desires? What do I want for my, my life and start going, well, how would that look? How would my money flow if I was living that and start restructuring? Because then you can focus on either closing those gaps of the target, really seeing where are the rats in your pantry, where those leaks, where those direct debits you had forgotten about. Do you really use that gym membership? What, what's mm-hmm. actually going on? And so many people are amazed to see what's actually been going on in their money versus what they think they are. So a spending plan is then taking that information rather than budget and, and projecting and going, okay, these are my target areas. And for those people who have got very big gaps between the targets they want to get to ensure that all aspects of their life covered, they've now got information where they can start focusing on rather than just hoping and praying. Now, hope's great if you shipwrecked at sea, but it's a disaster for a financial strategy. You know, you need to know what's going on because then you can work with it. Mm. It's a bit and like so a, therapy, the a therapy session, getting conscious about where it is that you're at. Really. Completely. Okay, and then you, and then uh, we just, we're, um, we're, we're looking sort of as at an overview. I mean, like, there's so much in this book. There is, see. there is so much. And, and I could see also it starts, it sort of starts at the beginning and really does walk you right through. Maybe, maybe if you could just pick out what, what you believe is the most fundamental thing to realize, um, about money and, and how you support that realization in, in the book. Just, just to, to, to wrap up the conversation. Yeah, I think one of the most important things is to understand that you know nobody saves their way to financial freedom. That's going to sound pretty radical. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> well, it's it's a it's. I mean, that's what most people, I suppose, think because yeah. when people plan for retirement, you know, you you're working so hard until you get to sort of yeah. sixty three, and then you could just put your feet up. But that's no way to live, really, is it? No, and and the sad part about that is one of the reasons I believe so many people, you know, less than three percent of the population actually achieve a place called financial freedom, where they've got sufficient assets working for them that they can choose to work actively or not, because that's earning them money, because they truly don't understand the power of money working for them, but it can only work for them in the form of these assets. And when I say say you don't save your way to financial freedom, is is when a lot of people look at that number, it just feels totally overwhelming. It looks like the top of Everest. So it's much easier just to be the ostrich and stick your head back in the sand and just hope like hell, maybe win the lottery. Because when you truly start understanding the power of compounding and, and understanding how money actually can work for you in these asset classes like equity or investment property or passive income businesses, you realize that 80% of those assets, 80% of your wealth is actually created by your money working for you. But it can only do that if you start letting money stay in your life and then direct it into one of those asset groups. And one of the easiest places to start is in the stock market. And so many women are so fearful of this. It's got, you know, real machismo factor or it's seen as scary and risky. And, you know, this is why I run a series of workshops called Stocks for Fox. It's lovely and tongue-in-cheek and will actually be in Cape Town on the 22nd and in Durban on the 15th. This four-hour workshop showing how actually you can invested in the stock market, get that money working for you from 300 grand a month as a key principle of just starting and starting to learn and seeing how you can get this compounding effect working for you and creating new wealth habits, which is so, so key. Mm. So I think the key fundamental is you've got to get money working for you. You've got to convert to one of those asset groups. And you've got to believe that financial freedom is absolutely possible for you. So you've um, got to start today. Yes. So if people do want to start today, I believe there's there's a, a wealth of information on thewealthchef.com, your website. Uh, and and I, I'm sure that people can find out more about the workshops uh, on, on your website. Yeah. Where can you get the book? The book is available at all good bookshops. Shops, bookshops <laughs> in South Africa, exclusives, bargain books online. Um, all around, they can come get the book at the Socks of Fox workshops in Cape Town or Durban. And um, yeah, just really start getting yourself financially savvy because it just first starts with that belief. And just knowing, and for me, I'm just so passionate about women, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a nurse, whether you're an executive, just start getting intimate with money and realizing it, can, it actually wants to work for you. Spot on. And I know we'll have you back on the show to ask you many more questions and get much more advice. So thank you for joining us today. I'll give out your website again as well. Thanks so much. An absolute pleasure, Kim. Thank you. Well, ciao. Bye. Well, that was Anne Wilson. She's the author of The Wealth Chef. And uh, the subtitle to that is How to Make Your Money Work Hard So You Don't Have to. A pretty tempting thing that, I'm sure. And you can visit her website, which is thewealthchef.com. That's thewealthchef.com. Otherwise, on SAFM.
Yes, you're listening to Otherwise, the Women's Show here on SAFM. I'm Kim Winter. I'm in for Shadow Twala. And you heard there Anne Wilson talking about how to make money work for you. And a fantastic focus there on women as well. And remember to look up thewealthchef.com if you want some more information. And another woman who's doing fabulous things who joins us in the studio today is Anna Fremantle. She's the founder and director of the Edinburgh International Fashion Festival. It's a festival that prides itself on highlighting the the intellectual element and approach to fashion and art through catwalks, uh, shows, workshops, talks, collaborative design processes, and I think collaboration is a, a big buzzword for Anna. Welcome to the studio. Thank you. Anna, maybe just uh, give people a little bit of a background on you are the director of the Edinburgh International Fashion Festival. Why fashion? What's your, what's your background in fashion? Um, my initial um, start in the fashion field was as a model, which I still do a little bit of here and there. Um, but throughout the entire process, I've also been married to an artist, and I suppose um, that has helped me look always at fashion in through the eyes of an artist, I suppose, um, which is what got me to the point of slight almost frustration with the fashion world as it was shown. Um, which was all quite on the outside and sort of prettified, as it were, and actually the sort of real soul behind it was kind of covered. And the festival was sort of, yeah, started from that. Okay. So it's kind of getting behind the word, because when, when people say fashion, you immediately think a kind of frivolous, fickle thing. Yeah. Really. Um, yeah. Yet, yet it is, it is a much richer thing than that. So, yeah. So the festival's been going for how long? Uh, we just had our third year, and we're hoping to bring a small version to South Africa this year as well, in May 2015. Um, so, hence me being here. Yes, so you've just you've just arrived in Cape Town, so we thought we'd we'd pluck you up and see how it compares to what's going on internationally and what your plans are for here. But maybe let's just take it back. You say that you look at fashion through um, a, a more artistic lens. Mm -hmm. So the the first, because I, I believe the Edinburgh International Fashion Festival does fall um, at a similar time to the the festival that goes on in in Edinburgh, the yes. festival. So so maybe the just give us an idea of of what you did with the first festival and how it's progressed from there well we d we did as much as we could i suppose with the very very limited resources we had um which is actually also the flavor in general of the festival we, we're not trying to um make it bigger than is necessary um so using the raw materials and actually kind of almost celebrating the rawness of it rather than you know putting lots of makeup on it and making it look prettier than it actually is yes. um and then i suppose we started we had um someone supporting us the first year which gave us an amazing space which was a basically an old veterinary college which we took over for the duration of five days <laughs> Um, and we invited into that, um, into spaces like the dissection room and God knows what. Um, it must have been amazing visually. I was thinking these cold slabs and yeah. old school um, sort of amphitheater type kind yeah. of. Is, am I getting the right picture? Uh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And literally the school had, had not even been deserted yet. So it was literally all the stuff was there, all the microscopes. all the, yeah, I mean, it was incredible visually and gave us as 
from the point that we took into sort of looking at fashion, it was the perfect angle. It was raw. It was, I mean, the we had a big Pam Hogg exhibition and show and talk in what used to be the di not the dissecting room but the the post mortem room, which was really that with blood smeared. And I mean, it was wow, amazing. Yeah. Um, and then these beautiful things in between that hang off the ceiling on sort of meat hooks and things like that. Um, so we sort of started quite small, but but got to invite, just because of my experience in the field, um, I had access to some incredible people that thankfully were okay to come at, at no cost. Um, so we managed to get a nice enough program together for year one. Um, Obviously, it was year one, and so we, we were still sort of playing around with the formula of how to execute it. I mean, we started with four days straight, and the one just gone was actually a 10-day festival over six different venues throughout the city with, you know, a big shows, symposiums. So it's grown from there quite considerably, although still very little support <laughs> as no. it goes as, it, as goes. it goes yeah no, it's a hard it's a tricky field to to be heard in weirdly yeah well it, i suppose that you've got a bit of convincing to do yeah. uh and people need to really see what what you what you call the the in, in, intellectual or intelligent side of mm. fashion so maybe just run us through what what did you do this year it passed when was it now it was in, in july just gone okay. um and we had uh, the fun th well yeah the fun thing about fashion is is that it weirdly enough trickles through into anything it being the economics politics i mean it's it's one of the i think pr wise one of the sort of loudest voices that you could use to get people's attention even though weirdly i said it, it's weird it's difficult to get through to people yes. and yet once you do get through people hear it loud and clear so we had a big collaborative um project where we had an, an scottish designer linked up with this chinese brand which obviously the china is a little bit in focus at the moment both in textile industry but also Polit you know, politicians were suddenly very key on becoming, you know, sort of front row visitors. Um, so we had some of the fabric coming from China and then manufactured in Scotland. And, you know, so there was a real exchange between the two. And they opened our festival um, in the National Museum of Scotland, which is very beautiful. Then we also brought actually a collaborative group of young South African designers over to come and have a week free space to sell their goods and to just make make a bit of yeah a bit of PR I suppose we had uh, talks we had exhibitions we had world famous Saskia de Brau, who's quite a hot model at the moment doing her first big art exhibition at the National Museum we had um, we also created a big maker's market focusing on the, the actual textile industry and how it actually has been suffering for a long time and what we can do about reviving it, even though it will take a long time to really properly revive it, which was supported by Her Royal Highness Camilla, who came for a two and a half visit, which was quite impressive. Two and a half, two and a half hours. hours. Wow. I know. Okay. That was me having to guide her. <laughs> how, how is, what is she like? Hold, hold that thought. Yes. We just uh, have to take a quick break and we'll be back with Anna Fremantle. Otherwise, on SAFM. 
You're listening to Otherwise here on SAFM, and we're with you up until 2 o'clock. But right now we've got Anna Fremantle, who's the founder and director of the Edinburgh International Fashion Festival, in studio. And we were just chatting about this year's festival where she got a whole lot of South African designers over to Edinburgh, and she was also paid a royal visit, and we were just about to discuss what Camilla is really like. I mean, how do you address her? What is her title? It's Her Royal Highness. Her Royal Highness. And what was she like, and what was her response specifically to our South African um, showcase? To be honest, I think they've been told to always respond in the same way. You know what I mean? It all has to be equal. But she was very excited about it. And they were the only ones, I mean, all of the the rest of the sort of stockists and textile manufacturers, they were all Scottish. So it was a nice, colourful, it was actually very colourful in comparison to the Scottish product but she was she was um i don't know whether i can even say this but she was actually like you know sort of falling in in your mother's arms kind of thing (laughs) it was a little bit like that i was quite nervous i didn't think i although the actual royal visit had taken me about seven months and three visits to jane i mean it's it's quite a thing to organize security wise and all of that Mm. um but then on the day when we were prepping i suddenly it suddenly sort of rang a bell you know they, dawned they, on you oh, in britain they they close the street and they repaint the street for every royal visit wow so suddenly that was all happening and i was like oh my god you know that's because of what we're doing here this is amazing so t- yeah that realization suddenly got me quite nervous and i i nearly needed to pink a tear <laughs> and then i got over it and then we had an amazing time actually and a lot of fun we sat on the front row we had a menswear show including also um South African designer Adrian Coates, who was in the menswear show too. Um, yeah, and we we laughed while while watching the world go by, kind of thing. It mm. was nice, lovely. Yeah. So so there seems to have been a lot on on the program, and and actually you sort of it's proof of concept, really. I think you really have proved that the Edinburgh International Fashion Festival is a meaty, relevant, cool mm. thing. And you spoke a bit about the textile industry. What what's been the effect or the ripple effect? You said you, you're trying to sort of reduce rejuvenate mm. what, what's happened in edinburgh well i, I think it, i mean it would be quite arrogant to, to to say that i can fix it overnight which i definitely can't but I, I my sort of strategy was that first and foremost uh, we need to bring awareness which we definitely have done in the last three years so people are aware of um what is going on and in scotland it's mostly in the borders i mean there's loads of factories and mills that have had to close down which is a you know the effect is basically that young designers in scotland that have tried to um they they've had a top shop order but they can't locally produce so they lose the order because you know so it's Mm -hmm. a ripple effect and and that affects in the long run maybe right now not the bigger fashion houses but in the long run it will affect all of us so i started with bringing in some sort of real fashion ambassadors like Stella Tennant, you know, Jürgen Te- all these amazing people that are working but also are willing to fight a little bit more for not not just being the face of Dior but actually, you know, putting something back in. And so by by not using but but I suppose tapping into my contacts, um, putting, raising some awareness and, and then I suppose the next step is to try and this year we also received royal warranty which means that, well it's an added thing that we can use in terms of perhaps I was thinking as the textile industry is very similar in Scotland as it is in South Africa, in both places it was a big 
industry and it's now well diminished yeah um so even start playing around a little bit like they're very keen to support whatever ideas are come up with so perhaps a a mill exchange you know let the mills here well the one mill here and there's one mill left there's one mill left wow okay um, and the mill in Scotland that they exchange both expertise, d- diff- working with different fabrics, you know, just getting a different perspective on onto the industry, but also realizing that it's not only South Africa that is struggling; it's it's kind of all over. Mm. Um, I think you you were able to to reopen a mill with Pringle. What what was the story there in, in Edinburgh? Um, no, we're working on that. Basically, on well, that. Okay. Pringle exists two hundred years next year and so we are quite involved in in sort of helping some new things going i mean pringle okay. has been very focused on on sustaining the textile industry mm. but it's, it's not an easy task and also for a lot of smaller manufacturers smaller labels it's very difficult to go local because it's expensive you mm. know and if you don't have the money miss ann wilson you can <laughs> help us perhaps um then you know then it's a tricky thing to do yeah yeah i love the fact that you had i think you had the seamstress from chanel come and speak um at the at the latest festival yeah. which really does reveal what's going on behind the scenes that people just don't know about no well and also to be honest i think probably half of chanel's collection is is basically dependent entirely on that little lady. Wow. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's that's. I'm more interested in that. You know, the, mm. the many faces of fashion, um, and also how deeply it trickles into lo- well, mm. all other industries. What have you experienced since you've been here? I mean, have you have you actually sort of tried to tap in a little bit deeper into what's going on in the textile industry here? Well, we've got obviously some few things on, <laughs> on the board. <laughs> um, well, yeah, the the idea is. Uh, what I've also noticed is that there's a there's a there's a big sort of gap between what's going on overseas and what's what's going on here. Overseas being sort of a well manicured, you know, sort of grand old dame in terms of fashion and what they can tap into, the money that's spent on everything, and then what we've got here, which is sort of young raw talent that that is kind of missing overseas but but the exchange is 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 tricky you know it's it's hard mm. from here to go over there and vice versa to tap into africa so the idea is well we're working on a on a sort of in, uh, incubation process where we can start focusing on that exchange but also exchange of skills and working with both both a local team as well as an international team so that we can match the two Interesting. Yeah. So we have to we have to watch what you you're up to. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Have you, have you been to any? I mean, you say there's one more left in South Africa, which is quite a shocking sort of statistic. Have you yeah. been to any of the factories we, or the? Yeah, um, actually, myself and my colleague, we tapped into. Um, well, we got introduced to this uh, the Madiba brand for six 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 four. Order six six four, yes. Yeah, and they um, they've been very helpful in also introducing us to the few factories that are still going in Lansdowne, and we we in fact actually took a, a group of Danish delegates that were here last week for a Danish design and architecture showroom to take them along and actually show what it's like. You know, instead of doing the usual sort of maybe essay tourist thing show them something real which is these amazing 90 women 
in the what's it called again Bry it's Brian Fuchs runs it a very tightly run factory that only makes shirts which is amazing and obviously 46664 they make their shirts too so fantastic good yeah. stories we need to start sharing good stories yes. I think in South Africa what's working what's actually happening and there's so many of them there's so many of them so many so how do people get in touch with you if they want to find out more if they want to partner with you what's the best way for for the moment uh, on my uh, Edinburgh International Fashion Festival dot com email it's Anna at Edinburgh International Fashion Festival dot com but soon also this incubation project is called six degrees of separation and the email address will be anna at six degrees of separation dot co dot za brilliant edinburgh international fashion festival six degrees of separation watch out she's anna Fremantle and she's the founder and director of the edinburgh international fashion festival 